This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And as always, with me is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. The world's starting to open up. Uh, we can we can do more 3D printing related things. <laughs> yeah, more, maybe we'll see each other. Ooh, we'll see each that's, other. That's for... crazy talk. <laughs> crazy talk. Who do who do we have today on the 3D pod? Well, we have today. We have uh, somebody I haven't actually met yet. Oh, that's <laughs> a first. Ethan Esquitz. <laughs> yes, Ethan Esquitz, and he's the uh, he's a co-founder and CEO of Eris Composites. So Eris is a company that is aiming to use a combination of let's say three D printing and molding to make continuous fiber composites. And what it wants to do is make them economically viable for a lot more applications and do things like lay down more composite fiber in one particular area to maybe reinforce something or maybe add some properties there. And at the same time, yeah, make it quite economical to make certain families of parts uh, as, a, uh, as compared to uh, other technologies like hand layup and other things. So that's a, it's a very interesting startup. So welcome to the show, uh, Ethan. Yeah, great to be here, Joris. Maxwell, nice to meet you. Likewise. Tell us a little bit, Ethan, about like, you've been bouncing around the industry for a while. How, how did you get involved with, or how did, how did Aris come, come, to, come to be actually? Yeah, I guess the, the, the backstory is uh, about a, a decade in, in the 3D printing world and prior to that, uh, working with more traditional manufacturing technologies. And um, I, I really started in, uh, in the object days, went through the Stratasys merger, uh, worked with commercialization of additive technologies from the, from the national labs, uh, metal 3D printing technologies composites. Uh, so, so really uh, have worked on a lot of great, important additive technologies that um, have, have really great, uh, you know, great, great matches and applications. And uh, Eris really is a bit of an outgrowth of all of that experience in, in that um, I, I was really, uh, really just so impressed with the uh, continuous fiber composites because of the performance um, as well as the material cost, how, really how scalable uh, the, the materials were. And, and Eros was really a, a, an effort to tap into both the, the performance potential as well as the scalability potential of the materials. Uh, and that, that really is kind of the origin story of the company. So, well, if I hear composites, I, I automatically think, well, you know, yeah, high performance for like, you know, a Formula One mirror or something. Uh, <laughs> with a lot of strength to weight, right? But not necessarily environmentally friendly or not necessarily economically viable for a lot more things uh, outside of that. So the environmental part, I mean, if we, if we really break down composites, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first composites were, were mud huts and plywood. Um, so the, the, you know, the outgrowth of that was really the more synthetic composites that uh, really came in uh, a lot of the 1800s, early 1900s uh, uh, chemical um, renaissance, if you will, and, and uh, the plastic matrix material that they used with, uh, with glass fibers originally. And, uh, and, and with that, there's been uh, almost a century of the unrecyclable, you know, epoxy and superglue-like uh, composite matrices that have 
really created you know this this environmental challenge for the composites industry that that the industry has really you know endeavored to solve in in like the 80s and 90s aerospace really started uh looking into the thermoplastic composites to get the benefits the additional toughness the faster cycle times and the, the recyclability. So, you know, we're, we're really standing on the shoulders of some of the giants in, in aerospace and, and chemical industry uh, that, that developed this, this world of thermoplastic composites that are recyclable. And, you know, the, the recycling programs are, are really catching up with the technology at this point. You know, so with that said, the different constituents that go into the material uh, the, the processing of the material and the end of life all obviously relate to the sustainability story. So uh, it really is almost application by application because, you know, you look at the use of uh, a commercial aircraft and the amount of, uh, the amount of carbon that's reduced by uh, using a much lighter aircraft, um, you know, offsets many of the costs of some of these uh, traditional composite manufacturing methods that um, might not be uh, really as uh, as good for recycling, but they have such a positive impact on the life of the product. So, so, so that said, working with these thermoplastic composites, we're really working at all the different elements of the uh, product life cycle to drive sustainability from the feedstocks to the manufacturing and the, the life of, and use of the product to the end of life. I'm, I'm curious because you're, you're obviously seeking um, environmentally friendly solutions as well, I would assume. Have you been playing around with the PHA at all, the new, the new hot plastic in town that can, you know, is C compostable or C biodegradable? Yeah, we've we've worked with uh, a variety, not not uh, specifically that material. One of the most important things for many of the uh, higher volume programs that we work with um, is a, uh, a a robust and steady supply chain and mm. a history of use. So um, many of the you know I kind of uh, you know when when people are asking about um, you know new new uh, bio and uh, sustainable materials. I, I kind of go back to one of my first experiences with, with the uh, bio-based dog poo bags where, you know, I picked up the dog <laughs> poo and the, the bag, you know, ripped in my hand. And, uh, for, you know, from that day forward, I was very, uh, very <laughs> uh, cautious about using bio-based material for, for, uh, for, for the dog poo bags. Now that said, uh, manufacturers that are producing, um, you know, larger volume products have to be have an extreme degree of scrutiny. They put their materials through, um, you know, before they specify them. So, uh, you know, we we can introduce materials to our customers. However, most of them are very comfortable with what they're familiar with. Um, so we do bring new formulations to them, however, because our customers ultimately make those decisions about what to go to production with, uh, you know, th they right. are biased towards caution. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, especially if you want, you know, something that's involving people's lives. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so all this talk about like manufacturing and volume and scale means that okay, so you're not exactly focusing on the prototyping market here. You want to make large things or millions of things. Yeah, our our, our uh, primary focus has been millions of things. 
uh, though, uh, you know, we have some great, uh, great parts that we've put out there, demonstrations about large things as well. Uh, the challenge with large things is, is very similar to what we were talking about with, with materials, is our customers have their product architectures and they're designed a certain way. Uh, for us to do extreme part consolidation in larger things, uh, that's very disruptive to existing designs and typically takes longer for a customer to digest. So when we look at millions of things, uh, you know, we can be dropping replacements for the way that things are designed today. Uh, just uh, we're really enable a significant improvement in performance. So whether it is a, a, a cast metal part or a machined metal part in, 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 the, in the bike industry that hasn't been able to make the shapes that we make possible, uh, really light weighting those, those components that traditionally have, have been metal on, on these otherwise you know, composite bikes, um, or if it's in the consumer electronics industry, uh, replacing these, uh, these machined out uh, uh, enclosures uh, that uh, that you know that hold all the electronics in in your your mobile phone your tablet or if it's the uh, cast magnesium inserts that you might put in um, in uh, different VR AR products uh, you know these these are areas where uh, where the new design latitude and the part consolidation and you know also we we can get you know these great surface finishes. Um, you know, all of these enable our customers to make really differentiated products. And, and why would I use like, for example, you could use other like a good strength weight ratio plastics. Why, why would I use a composite in that application as opposed to like peak or, or, or why would I replace metal uh, with a composite? Like weight seems the obvious one, but, but. Yeah, well, well the, uh, the, the specific stiffness of the composite uh, is, is significantly greater and, and just the, Composite, um, you know, the, the composite, you know, one we can make it uh, with smaller feature sizes. So, so one, you you just have the the first the, the specific stiffness, and that's really one of the biggest ones. Um, but then you you kind of work backwards from there. Um, the feature sizes that we can make, uh, if we're talking about consumer electronics, for instance, um, are are smaller than uh, than you can uh, machine or cast. And uh, we have an efficient, uh, very low scrap uh, process. So, you know, relative to uh, machined enclosures, uh, you just have a more efficient manufacturing process. And then the amount of finishing that you need to do to get any kind of cosmetic surface out of uh, the alternate technologies is, 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 you know, quite cost intensive and uh, you have limited uh, cosmetic options. You know, we have all of the, uh, all of the surface finish options, you know, available to to the molding industry, which uh, is is quite innovative and has all uh, all kinds of different options. So the the other piece is the part consolidation that we we mentioned before. Uh, we can really practically make all kinds of uh, really consolidated parts that would otherwise be a, a bunch of different machine parts that you'd assemble together. Um, and then obviously we can do this in a very scalable uh, way where we're, uh, we're we're producing these parts very efficiently. And how does that go? How does in fact work? How does it, how does the technology actually work? So we start with a uh, thermoplastic uh, uh, composite. Uh, so it's it's really 
a, a composite material like a, a glass fiber or carbon fiber, depending on what's specified by the customer. And that is pre-impregnated uh, pre uh, with, with the thermoplastic. And uh, we, we uh, have a, uh, a, a process that we call additive molding. And that additive molding process is really a uh, electromechanical automated manufacturing uh, system that takes this composite material and uh, forms it and assembles it into uh, what, what could be uh, uh, really looked at as a uh, near net shape composite part. And uh, for the composite industry, the way that, that they would describe this near net shape composite part uh, would be a preform assembly. Uh, in, in the composites industry, uh, pre-shaped uh, pieces of composite material are called preforms. And when you uh, assemble a bunch of them together, uh, it's called an assembly. So we have a, a much higher degree of complexity and resolution um, and multi-materiality uh, than, than the state of the art. And in particular, uh, really the state of the art is just doing this approach with flat sheets of material where we can make complex 3D shapes. Uh, and then our, our uh, automated manufacturing system then molds, does, does a final consolidation step under heat and pressure uh, to, to consolidate that near net shape composite part into, uh, into the final part. And, and, you, and the idea is that that part could be used or could be near use or... Yeah, so so that part is you know can have you know depending on on the the customer and the application that can have a cosmetic uh, surface uh, coming out of the tool uh, that uh, that can be uh, that can be you know used without uh, post processing. And you you guys have been around since around two thousand four, right? Uh, two thousand seventeen, actually. So, oh, excuse uh, me, two thousand started here. And then in that in the time that you've been around, have you? seen the same kind of customer base coming to you or have you seen it evolve um, in terms of which industries are coming to, to use these parts? You know, the, the customers in the consumer product space have been our focus uh, because uh, really their uh, quick qualification um, and their ability to take advantage of new things and really uh, look for commercial advantages. Uh, that come as a result of new design latitudes. So, uh, you know, the many of the more uh, regulated or a little bit slower um, product refresh cycle industries, you know, the industrial aero auto uh, type industries, we, we really prioritize second, though we have some great work we're doing with uh, leaders in some of those industries. Uh, and and the, the reason being is, uh, our ability to scale and bring new performance and new design latitudes for top brands that are trying to differentiate their products for uh, you know for for the mass market um, is a, is a significant commercial advantage for them and and obviously a commercial opportunity uh, for us to to serve them and offer them these new design latitudes and take these differentiated products to market. And, you know, one of our first public companies, uh, Skydio is a great example of, you know, the innovation we, uh, we worked with them on that really spread across uh, Q3 and Q4 of last year was culminated in them winning the CES um, innovation awards 
um, and 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 really the, the the broad recognition that they got for uh, for differentiating their product design in their industry as a result of these new latitudes uh, is really a great demonstration of what's to come, you know, based on the, the great work we see these top product, product design teams doing in these, these different industries at, at a variety of different uh, top brands. And, and could you play, explain the, the Skydio drone before? Because, uh, yeah, of course, the people here can't see it. Maybe you should Google it now or something. But you basically, the part that you keep talking about is, is, is kind of an assembly for the front of the drone that consolidates a number of parts? Correct. So uh, to to meet to meet their product launch deadline, you you always have a uh, you, you always have to you pick your battle. Um, and what we focused on is is that section of the drone that supports the camera gimbal um, and also serves as a electronic enclosure. And we consolidated 17 parts into one. The resulting part is 25% uh, lighter, stiffer, stronger, uh, tougher uh, than what came before. Um, and it's a beautiful part. Um, you know, their, their website uh, really has uh, some, some great imagery of this product. And uh, what's, what's really novel is while it looks like a, a beautiful, uh, just, just a kind of a beautiful cosmetic part under the surface it's incredibly advanced composite where you have a glass fiber in the region above the antenna which improves range and prevents interference with with the antenna's function and then in the uh in the mesh uh open structure uh, that's really optimally designed to support the camera gimbal. You have these aligned continuous uh, carbon fibers uh, that run through that uh, region uh, to support the, the load of the gimbal uh, with the required stiffness with a, a weight minimum. And the, the, I like this idea of like being able to lay down carbon fiber where you need it and strengthen certain areas or maybe make certain areas easier for RF shielding or less and... And are you seeing a lot of, because that's completely new, right? Being able to do this uh, that easily. Are you seeing a lot of applications yeah. for this or is this something that people are just like, oh, that's cool, but they don't know what to do with it? Yeah, well, a little bit of both. So I, mm. I, I, I do, uh, you know, aerospace deserves a lot of credit for, you know, decades of uh, development work in, in many of these methods. There just hasn't been a way to mass, mass produce it. Uh, so yes, I, I completely agree. Uh, and, and we have customers that some of the most important capabilities for them is, uh, is the ability to replace metal uh, in areas of a part with a, a uh, antenna transparent material. Uh, and obviously with uh, mobility and the internet of things kind of at this, this really past an inflection point where there's really widespread adoption Antennas are, are everything. Antennas connect everything. And with 5G coming online, they're only becoming more and more important, uh, particularly as we get more connected devices and more of the computing is taken off of the devices, whether it's our, our, our mobile phones or our cars and, and uh, processed in the cloud. So antenna performance, speed, uh, range uh, are all extremely important. Uh, factors for for these these companies, you know, really defining the the next generation of all kinds of products that are that are connected.
Yeah. And can you also use it to kind of like change the form factor of like, you know, these, elect these consumer electronic devices, for example, then? Is that also something that you can radically shift? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the form factor um, of, of, you know, the, the, the highest volume uh, mobile devices are, are pretty clunky. So I, I think you get at a really key point that everyone sees. Uh, there's, there's less, uh, there's, there's a lot of innovation in wearables, whether it's VR, AR, watches, uh, or a variety of other products that, uh, that are, are smaller and aren't going on in your pocket. Um, but are you're wearing on your body somewhere and that's actually where conforming to the shapes of the body um, is, is, a, is a great application for us because many of the, the methods like, you know, machining a block of aluminum uh, for a part doesn't <laughs> isn't really cost effective to, you know, shape uh, shape that block of aluminum into uh, into things that you wear on your body. So our ability to put these uh, materials that are much stiffer and stronger than than the aluminum uh, enclosures um, into uh, forms that that conform, you know, to your anatomy uh, is is a very important capability. And and does that mean well? But I think it'd be really difficult to design for this because you don't really have a lot of experience. I mean, how do you help a customer by letting them kind of see the light uh, in a sense? Yeah, you're you're right. And with with any new manufacturing technology, there's there's always this uh, this challenge of the process comes first, and then uh, how how do you design for and teach people to do it uh, comes second. And so that's something we've we've worked on uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years. Uh, and there's there's really two two answers to this. Uh, the first is uh, you know we we for uh, the customers that we're working with have a design for additive molding training that is really just like, uh, you know, design for manufacturing for, uh, you know, a variety of other technologies, uh, just with our own set of guidelines and how to do it. Uh, we, we also have the ability to do uh, really advanced simulation, uh, you know, for specific um, uh, very demanding applications. However, uh, for some of these applications that we're talking about, uh, like a, a wearable or or a consumer product, you know the the data sheet properties the that we provide to the mechanical engineers that are typically spearheading the design of many of these these uh, products um, is is pretty easy for them to digest with a little bit of guidance for us from us. And and so what are the, so we talked about some of the sectors. I mean I think uh, one thing that the the stood that stood out for me is that on your website you've got like like sports equipment as one of the main kind of verticals. And you've got as an example you've got literally like a shoe bed. Do you see that like kind of as like a really big application or, or sports in general? Yeah, the the uh, carbon fiber uh, and the attention that it has gotten uh, for the performance it enables in shoes uh, has has been uh, has has been very really neat recognition of this this pretty amazing material. The way in which uh, the um, existing methods have used the carbon fiber uh, is is really represents how the the state of the art has worked uh, really from the beginning, where they've they've taken sheets of material. And really, just use those uh, sheets in fairly, uh, you know, flat or two and a half D uh, type uh, profiles uh, within the shoe, 
uh, to improve energy return. And with our design latitude to really not be limited to, to planar shapes, but really work uh, with the Z-axis and make more complex shapes and fiber alignments that run through X, Y, and Z uh, continuously um, and align the fibers uh, with the stress vectors that can, can differ quite a bit from you know, one region to another opens up uh, all kinds of new design latitudes for this industry uh, that is, that's, that's really uh, enamored with uh, this material at this moment in time. And I like the idea of like using these, so you could make it like you could get like, let's say there's a torsion happening in this thing. You could reduce that, right? Or you could make it more in the middle, or you could make it. Uh, I don't, yeah, it's, it's difficult to think you of could put how give you could actually influence it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and we're always playing with uh, geometry as much as we are playing with uh, composite fiber alignment. You know, the, the geometric latitudes, as you're really calling attention to, and putting the material where you want it, um, and letting letting the product you know flex and stretch and do other things in in areas where you where you don't want it. Um, is is very important latitudes. It's not it's not just the ability to to put the the composite in a place. It's also our ability to not put the composite in a place uh, that does open up all kinds of new neat design latitudes. Oh, so you could do like a living hinge, for example, where it's composite on either side, and then you have a section where it's no composite to allow an actual hinge to form. Yeah, yeah, composite living hinges are are um, you know a, a, in, uh, really. There, there's all kinds of applications for yeah. uh, these. It's, it's, it's a, an, another one that has been done by the composites industry for, for quite a while. Um, and, you know, we essentially enable uh, our customers to use these things that exist, you know, in the composites industry, but really incorporate many of those, those concepts into their product. And, uh, and can you do like circuits and things like that? Because that's also like obviously the next, the, 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 that would also be very adjacent. The neat thing with multi-materiality is, is you know, we're we're talking about changing the the, the stiffness characteristics of, of a part uh, in exactly the same way uh, we can play with uh, play with circuits. In that, in our process, we're just switching out one material for another material. Uh, but you know, when we when we look at that application. Uh, whether it's uh, antennas or uh, a, a variety of other circuits that uh, would be very practical to have through the structure that that opens up uh, functional uh, latitudes. So, you know, the, we're not going to replace making circuit boards, uh, you know, right? Circuit boards uh, are incredibly compact, essentially multi-material composites. Uh, that are just highly specialized. Uh, what, what we really enable is some of the important circuits uh, that uh, have value to run through the structure. So examples of this, uh, again, really giving credit to the composites industry uh, are you know, the lightning strike protection meshes that, that go through uh, aircraft or the, the structural health monitoring uh, um, that, that they use for the aircraft or, uh, or antennas. So a variety of these things. Now, uh, uh, obviously lightning strike protection for consumer products isn't as much uh, of, of uh, right. perhaps a transferable application, uh, but you know, antennas, as we talked about earlier, um, and, and a variety of other circuits that you, you might want running through the structure um, are, are very uh, transferable. 
Yeah, I mean, the antennas I get with like, especially with a phone case or something like that, where it, you can make an even bigger antenna that's running throughout the entire structure, so to speak. But I do wonder though, like, you, is it just, it's not the value isn't there to like put a flexi circuit or layer a flexi circuit in there, so to speak? Yeah, we, we, we could. However, uh, the, the, you know, it, this becomes really a, a practical design architecture question. Right. Uh, so certainly we could put uh, a, a circuit in, uh, we could, you know, mold chips in and things like that. However, most of those, uh, you know, many of those devices are rather complex uh, and uh, <laughs> assembled, uh, you know, assembled through a variety of other processes, getting to the place where uh, we have a really highly integrated design where we become the uh, structure that combines everything um, is a little bit further out. However, your your point is accurate in that we could integrate uh, quite a few components that are typically assembled in secondary assembly steps. Um, however, uh, I, I think the the Skydio example uh, that that I said, you know, when we we're talking earlier. And, you know, when you're figuring out, you know, when your product is launching and what you have the time to really digest yeah, and perhaps no. change from your last product design is a, is a very practical matter that we're always looking at. How do we get a big win with, you know, the next product refresh cycle, but have a roadmap to, you know, really exciting things on the horizon that we can do after, you know, step one and step two. What are some of the things that you're most excited about in the future uh, for development with you guys? Yeah, I, I that, think, you can, that you can yeah. talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the biggest one is really just, just scaling up. Uh, you know, we, we really have entered this phase as a company uh, where, where we are a scaling company with, uh, and I guess I use that to differentiate from, from a startup that we might have been characterized as in, in years past, you know, now, you know, shipping, you know, production parts, um, a lot of other uh, production um, uh, clients coming online this year and next year, you know, we've, we are doing production here in California, but also uh, we have our, our factory that's opened in Taiwan. Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I'm really excited about is seeing these, these awesome uh, design teams that we're working with, seeing their products launch, you know, seeing more success stories like Skydio's, uh, you know, the, the broad recognition that they receive uh, at the Innovation Awards and, and through all kinds of uh, media um, in their industry and beyond. Um, I, I think we're just excited to see our customers uh, get, get more of these wins. Um, you know, that, that said, if I was thinking about applications beyond what we talked about, uh, certainly when you, uh, when, when you think about uh, connectivity and all of the new applications for it and um, all of the, the new mobility, uh, there, there is uh, this, this, this just major shift um, in, in these industries that um, that we're you know we're all watching very closely and uh, in our ability to make uh, really scalable advanced uh, lightweight lightweight parts uh, is, a, is is a key enabler for for many of these emerging trends. And is there a key industry or or that you guys are shooting for in the future that you're hoping to acquire? Or are you just kind of letting 
people discover you and and grow that way or yeah our our primary focus has been around consumer products uh, mm-hmm. because uh, because of the reasons that we talked about earlier so all of the production uh, that will be coming online uh, this year and, and next year, or rather all the, the companies, uh, you know, that'll be launching uh, products uh, really revolve around those industries. Uh, in, in mobility, we, we've had, a, had a, a really great publication with, with Northrop Grumman uh, a quarter ago that talks a little bit about uh, the value that we bring into aerospace and the uh, really the value that I, I think is is, uh, is is characterized in that technical paper really nicely just being able to make uh, a, a, the, the, the part that we uh, optimize uh, achieve similar mechanical uh, performance to the 3d printed titanium bracket um, mm. and then there was a, uh, a significant weight savings. It was, it was over a 70% weight savings for that part. And then you add to that the fact that we can really cost effectively scale that production uh, relative to metal 3D printing. Uh, that obviously is something that, uh, that uh, really the new mobility, autonomous, um, and uh, a variety of uh, transportation and automotive customers are, are very interested in. So those industries just take longer uh, to uh, to adopt things, they have longer product refresh cycles. Um, so uh, while while we're very excited about that space, uh, it, it will just take longer to get to market there. However, the really important thing that is happening uh, is that um, total cost of ownership has driven the uh, aerospace uh, to really broadly adopt composites. I believe the the Boeing Dreamliner is you know, somewhere around eighty percent. Uh, composites today because uh, every pound you take out of uh, the aircraft um, makes it uh, really cost less. Uh, and as a result, uh, that that commercial driver has has improved, uh, has, has driven more composites into the aircraft. You know, a- automobiles uh, are at the opposite end of the spectrum where, uh, you know, they're just using stamped steel and there hasn't been as much motivation uh, to to make uh, you know extremely efficient vehicles. So with uh, many of the new trends in mobility, it, with autonomous, uh, you know whether it's buses or trucks or or cars, um, you know these uh, you know those those business models require those those assets to move as long as uh, as long and as far as possible between charges. So these are the same commercial drivers that have sped up adoption of composites in aerospace. And that becomes just really a, a clear indication of where those emerging uh, transportation industries uh, will go with, with the materials they rely on uh, for, for these next generation um, you know, things that move us around the world. Yeah, I think the, the, the bracket really impressed me. It was like, it was like 71% lighter or something than the, than the 3D printed bracket. And uh, the, the titanium one, which I thought was really yeah. amazing. I think and that, that yeah, really shows that there's a lot of potential there uh, in, in a lot of things. It also, like to me, it sounds like like you're actually having manufacturing technology that now you could usually previously deploy in China and then maybe, or you would do it in Washington. Uh, well, <laughs> let's not get into that, but uh, <laughs> you would previously be deployed in China often. And now you could be doing this in the United States of America. 
And then to and me, it's still cost that, effective. And, and could potentially be still cost effective for, for, for a lot of parts. That to me also, you know, implies that not only like are you, it would commercial drones be interesting, but also like the military variants and military drones and things like that would be a very, very exciting opportunity. Yeah, with regard to where you produce things. Uh, so our, our customers uh, have uh, supply chain requirements and we respond to that. So we have some customers that require production domestically, um, really, really neat reshoring opportunities uh, to, to your point because uh, our, our production system can uh, can really cost effectively produce parts uh, wherever they need to be produced. So the, the driver often is a industry's legacy where they have set up to do final assembly, where they have their supply chain uh, kind of converging all of their parts that come together. So, uh, you know, the, the, the different industries look different. Um, however, yeah, to your point, with the manufacturing landscape changing, uh, the, the centers uh, at which everything converges uh, can, can change quite a bit as well. I think it'd be really exciting. And also for the automobile thing, I mean, I think there's a sea change and everybody kind of assumes that, well, it's electrification, so everything's going to change, right? Uh, or, or this is the moment to make big changes and that's the moment for additives. So it seems like it, it feels like that moment. So there might be something there. I and mean, one thing I wrote like a, a couple of weeks ago was this idea of like this return to coach building. Like if you look at an electric car now, everything is like kind of concentrated in the chassis, right? The chassis is like, the drivable chassis is like, kind of has a battery, has everything in it, right? And then the car is like kind of like, or the body of the car can be built kind of on top of it. And that's similar to like the coach building age, right? Where, where Bentley made mm -hmm. like the, the running chassis mm -hmm. and then like a coach builder like Mulliner would be a, a company that used to make like carts and stuff and wagons and stuff. And they would build a body on top of it. And, and now with electric cars, they look kind of really similar than cars used to be, like <laughs> the, the first cars look very, very similar to, 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 to the electric cars because all the technology is in the bottom. Do you think that, that that kind of changes will happen to the auto industry or? Yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're right. And, and you, you go to CES, uh, for instance, and, and you see all of the, the concepts like you're talking about these almost uh, electric skateboards uh, <laughs> that you can <laughs> build, build any kind of vehicle on top of. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's simply a question of how long, not whether, um, it, right. It's, it's, uh, its adoption of uh, many of these approaches. And I think one of the really key enablers for uh, these, these technologies will be the, the business models to, uh, to, to commercialize um, these, these new kind of product architectures. You know, what, you know, what are the different ways that you might configure vehicles that, um, that are commercially meaningful that, you know, give you an advantage over, over the market, uh, over over the state of the art, and obviously there's a lot of uh, investor capital pouring into this space uh, to really try and um, bring bring into being all of these 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 great applications for for these new these new these new product architectures, and it it really goes both ways. You know, the product architectures are precipitating uh, the way to think about businesses, and the, many of the businesses are. Uh, precipitating, you know, new ways of thinking about the architecture. So it's just such a, a, a vital, um, innovative space right now. It's, it's really neat to watch.
Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting because like, if you're looking at it also from a business model perspective, you could have like a company like Bosch, right? Could be making like, or together with Panasonic perhaps, uh, or, or like somebody else, maybe the third one, they could be making the entire car and selling an identical car uh, in, in millions, right? So the Volkswagen platform strategy looks pretty darn unbeatable, right? Um, unless you start selling like a million identical cars and then people just customize on top of it, like in low value and, and low labor countries, for example. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah, easy to imagine. And, you know, you know, BMW, uh, you know, piloted some neat, uh, right. 3d printed commercialization type things. And, uh, it, it is very easy to imagine, uh, that being, uh, used much more broadly. And whether it is the entire vehicle or a little bit more isolated to some of the personalization things that we have have seen, you know, already done, um, you know, where you know uh, where we land in the middle uh, or at one extreme is is really yeah yeah yet yet to be seen. But uh, I think I think you're right. We'll probably see all kinds of variations uh, on on these concepts. Uh, and uh, I think vehicles are really exciting. I think I think uh, you know I think something like. I don't believe in the 3D printed car on sich, but I'm really thinking that we will pick and choose the mo- the critical components. Like, for example, I've seen carbon fiber seat models, right, uh, for cars and also for an aircraft that are very thin carbon fiber shells that take away a lot of the material needed for a seat. In an airplane, it gives you an extra row, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that kind of thing would save you a ton of space on a car as well. So I think those kind of things, individualized headrest and the mass customization stuff, I love it, right? Uh, you know, these... These, these things you can add to the car and maybe also take away, right? Like you take out your, your, your gear shifter knob and your personalized uh, dashboard and then, you, uh, and then the next person buys a new one, right? I love that kind of stuff. But yeah, to me, the whole like really large parts like often cease to make sense with our technology just because of time and cost and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's it, uh, the product architecture um, piece that we discussed earlier is the biggest barrier for, for larger things. Um, at least for us, uh, the, you know, the integration, you know, the, you look at the part count in an automobile uh, over, over the decades, and it's just gone up and up and up and up and up. And as a result, uh, you know, it is very hard to go backwards when you've, you know, designed your vehicle to have, you know, 40,000 parts in it. Um, and, and actually going backwards um, is, is challenging. And, you know, as, as we talked about in, in this, uh, our discussion about Skydio, even taking 17 parts back to one, you know, there's there's engineering to go backwards, even though it unlocks value. Um, and so there are some of these practical engineering hurdles uh, to to undo what's been done over time. Yeah, exactly. And one thing, okay, one thing I noticed, you guys have a lot of stuff with trusses. You do a lot of trusses. <laughs> are you really into trusses? What's the, what's the love what's trusses? The huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, probably uh, you know pretty pretty obvious, but the um, you know to, the topology optimized shapes that I, I think three D printing has really created so much awareness around um, are are really these ideal uh, specific stiffness structures. These these just open shapes, um, and you know these. These shapes are obviously used on the Eiffel Tower and just it's under the skin of any large building where there's extreme pressures for efficient material use. Um, however, 
when you start taking those design ideals and trying to scale them down to smaller sizes, like in, in vehicles uh, or, or smaller, uh, it, it becomes impractical because of the scrap cutting out those open shapes. And so, uh, you know, 3D printing uh, did a great job in saying, hey, there's new design latitudes here. Uh, that cost of scrap doesn't apply, so let's start looking at ideal shapes. And uh, while, while that was, was very important and there were great, uh, you know, work on topology uh, optimization and, and teaching around that, um, those specific stiffness shapes, the ideal material to have inside of them isn't, isn't necessarily metal uh, it, many times, especially when you want that high specific stiffness. It's, it's continuous fiber composite. So we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to bring attention to this idea that, you know, the reason the Boeing Dreamliner is 80% composite is because of this really amazing lightweight material compared to uh, metals and plastics. And the reason that, you know, the Eiffel Tower and trusses are uh, ubiquitous where, uh, where there's really extremes of efficient material use um, is because those are the efficient structures, and, and we really bring both together. Uh, so, you know, getting somebody to incorporate these things in something like a vehicle is a much longer lead time um, effort, um, but, you know, it really captures the imagination of uh, especially many of the experts in, in the industry that um, are using, for instance, in aerospace, these closed profile beams when uh, a truss just fundamentally um, is is a better uh, engineered structure for the loads that they're trying to carry. So yeah, we we do. We do I, I I definitely take your point. We've <laughs> put a lot of pictures <laughs> of trusses out in the the media, but you know you know you you took the bait. We're talking about it. George, <laughs> yeah. you've just been trusted. Oh my God, I've been trusted. Yeah. <laughs> Fooled again. Fooled again. again. No, 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 it's good. All right. Hey, uh, yeah, Ethan, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, uh, we learned a lot about trusses. Uh, really believe in the future of trusses. <laughs> and, uh, no, thanks so much for, for your time today, Ethan. Yeah, great to speak with you both. Thank you. And, uh, thanks for uh, yeah, Max. Oh, sorry. No. So it's always uh, a good Max? time, George. <laughs> <laughs> Max, uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Uh, and everyone uh, that was watching, thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, do share us with the world and stuff and uh, give us feedback if you think we should improve something or have an idea for a guest or a topic or something like that. Thanks a lot for uh, listening to the 3D Pod. I was Joris Peels. Thank you. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.